What's up, everybody? Happy New Year. Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are a Bible-based church out of Peterborough, Canada, and together we're on a mission to reach people who are far from Christ and see them become followers of Jesus. Each year we spend so much time and energy celebrating the birth of Jesus that it's easy to overlook what comes next. Receiving Christ is only the first step in our journey of faith. So over the next four weeks, we'll explore what comes next as we dig into what it means to know God, find freedom, discover our purpose, and make a difference in the world around us. So with that, let's turn it over to Pastor Nathan with part one of our series, What's Next? Well, good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. Good to see you, too. You made it. It's 2022. We're here. You guys seem way less excited than I am. I wore my flamingo shirt because I am very optimistic about the year ahead. I know the last couple have been pretty rough. And, uh, you know, it seems to me when things are darkest, uh, it's usually when things are about to make a turn for the best. I'm optimistic. I think it's better at least to be looking up and looking forward than looking back and down. You guys with me? Can we agree on that? All right. Thank you. (laughs) Got some energy in the front row. I love it. Great way to start the new year. Well... Today, as we, as we kick off a, a new series and a new year, I wanted to, um, I want to think about a question that I've been sort of wondering about over the last few weeks as I thought about this morning and where we'd be going in the new year. And the question I've been sort of asking is, like, okay, Christmas is over, we've got a New Year's here, and the question for me is, what's next? Uh, that's kind of the optimistic way to ask it. Uh, the pessimistic way would be, um, what now? <laughs> that's how you'd say it. But what's next? Um, where do we go from here? And I want you to know, I think I mentioned this in the outline uh, that we posted online, that, you know, as I'm thinking about what next, I'm not, I'm not thinking about the pandemic, because that's been on top of everyone's mind the last few weeks with Christmas and all those things. Uh, really not about that at all, but rather what's next for you and for me, for our faith, for our families, for our relationships, and what's next specifically as we live out our lives, our Christian lives. And that's, that's what we want to do well. And so where do we go from here? What's next? How do we, how do we move forward? For the past um, four weeks or so, we've been hyper-focused on an event called Christmas. Okay, and Christmas is now past. Christmas is an incredible event in Scripture and in history where Jesus, the Son of God, enters into time and space, enters into flesh, and becomes human and comes to, to live among us. And that event is not only miraculous, it's not only historic, but it changes everything. It changes human history. It certainly changed Mary and Joseph's lives, but it changes our lives when we receive Christ by faith. He he came uh, to be with us and continues to be with us. So Christmas is a big deal. That's why we spend so much time and energy focused on Christmas. But now Christmas is over. And and really, what I've been wondering about is is, is this question. What What does life after Christmas look like? Okay, Now that he's come, now that he's here, what's next? Where do we go from this point forward? The title of my message today is Life After Christmas. And thankfully, the scriptures don't, don't leave us uh, unaware. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, many of you will, will know Luke chapter 2 because it says, in the days of Caesar Augustus, there was a census and all the world went to be taxed and Mary and Joseph couldn't find a room in the end. You know the story. But after the Christmas story, after Jesus was born, there's a couple passages there that I want us to take a look at today. And they're going to set the trajectory for the next few weeks. And, and it says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 39. So right after Jesus is born, it says, And when they... Mary and Joseph had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. We're going to dig into that in just a moment, so just hold that thought. 
they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. So after Christmas, after angels appeared to the shepherds, after angels appeared to Mary and Joseph and the virgin conceived and gave birth to a son and, and a wise man came, like after all of this stuff, these mar- miracles, prophecies fulfilled, after all this, they go back to life as normal. <laughs> they go back to Nazareth. They go back to their home and continue as they did before. That's interesting. Sounds like what most of us are going to do now that Christmas is over, right? Back to life, back to the grind, back to work. Okay, next passage says this. And the child grew, speaking of Jesus, and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now, following this passage, you'll see a little section there about one incident when Jesus was 12, and his parents went to the temple, and he was wise beyond his years. Other than that, these two verses that we just read are like a summary of 30 years of history. Jesus is born, he's the Messiah, all of that. And then there's like 30 years of relative silence, and all we get is Mary and Joseph went back home, lived there, did their thing, and Jesus grew. I mean, that's, that's kind of the summary of 30 years of history. It's kind of crazy. And what I want to do is I want us to look at that text that we just read. I want to draw out three things that Mary and Joseph did following Christmas, after Christmas that I think are relevant to us, that we need to do after Christmas. Here's the first one. We're going to spend some time on this one today. Number one, Mary and Joseph marked the arrival of Jesus. They did. There were some ceremonies that they performed once the baby arrived. Once Jesus arrived in their lives, there were some things that they had to do according to the law. We're going to look at that in a second. But they marked the moment of his arrival. And you and I, we do this naturally, right? Like we celebrate, how many of you celebrate birthday parties? Yeah, most of you, right? Most families celebrate birthdays. A couple days ago, Jessica, my wife, and I were looking at the calendar for the upcoming year. And we start, I started circling because I'm not good with dates. So she's reading me all the dates, and I'm circling all the birthdays in our family, extended family. And there's like a lot of circles. And in my mind, I'm thinking, that's a lot of gifts. That's a lot of parties. That's a lot of cake. And I'm just looking at it overwhelmed by how many things we have to do in the upcoming year with all these parties, but we celebrate the moment that our loved ones are born, right? That's what we do. We celebrate, mark the moment with a, with cake and with gifts. And we do this as well with graduations. If any of you have graduated from school or university or trade school, where, where these, these marker moments of transition, what do we do? Throw hats, throw a party, we eat cake and we give gifts. And then, you know, if two people decide to join their lives in one home in a marriage, what, what happens? We, we, we throw a party and, and all the friends and family come and there's a celebration and then we eat cake and we give gifts. You've got to see a theme here, right? But we mark in these significant moments in our life and we go, this is important. We mark it with a milestone ceremony, an event, something that lets us know that this is something that's important and should be remembered. Well, in the same way, I would like to say to you that it's important for us to mark moments of faith. The moment that you received Christ into your life should be a moment that you mark and celebrate. It's a moment of significance. And, you know, as a pastor, I get to talk to lots of people and I get to hear their stories. And uh, for some people, um, their story goes something like this. I grew up in church. I was around it. My parents taught me the Bible. I went to Sunday school. I was in church all the time. And you're kind of around it and familiar with it. But then there's this moment maybe in youth group or in Sunday school or a moment at camp or a moment in college where everything that you've heard about Jesus, all of a sudden there's this light bulb that goes off. Some of you have experienced something like this. It's like, ah, where all of a sudden all the stuff you know about Jesus becomes personal to you and and becomes significant, and there's a change on the inside. 
A lot of people would have that story. Then there are some who, who didn't grow up in church and didn't know anything, and so they're going through life without any knowledge of God or Jesus, and then they go to church or they meet someone who tells them about it, and, and they begin to wrestle with these ideas and truths, and then all of a sudden something clicks, and there's this moment of faith where it's like, yes. And those moments, that moment of faith is something that ought to be marked and it ought to be celebrated. It ought to be remembered. I mean, we celebrate birthdays. We celebrate all these other things, anniversaries. We need to mark the moments of our faith. And, you know, if you're here today and you're listening to me and you've never experienced that, I mean, you, you, you've been you coming to church, but you've never marked the moment, invited Christ in your life, said, this is the day that I'm following him and move forward from there. Today could be that day for you. So, the first thing that Mary and Joseph did was they marked the moment that Jesus arrived in their lives. Here's what the text says. It says, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. Does anybody know what that means? I mean, there were certain things that they had to do. I'm going to tell you what they are because uh, the, the things that they were supposed to do are actually specified in Leviticus chapter 12. And my guess is that most people in their daily reading plan skip over Leviticus. And if you've ever read it, it's just a whole bunch of, like, here's how you offer an animal, and you cut out the entrails and wash them with water, and this part gets burned, and this blood gets sprinkled here, and this altar, and that, and you're kind of like, ah, I don't get it. So you have all these instructions for sacrifice and religious worship in the temple. And in Leviticus chapter 12, it actually outlines two things that any couple were to do when a child was born to them. And so, according to Luke, Mary and Joseph did these two things. And they're important. Here's the first thing that they did. Number one, uh, they would have had a circumcision ceremony. Most of you will know what that is. If you don't, ask someone after the service. You might be surprised. Circumcision was an event that took place uh, specifically on the eighth day. Providing the child was healthy enough, you know, to fight infection and stuff, eighth day. Now, the reason why it was on the eighth day was because the first seven days after a woman gave birth, she was considered unclean. And anybody attending to her, servant, husband, even the child that she nursed would be considered unclean for those seven days. So they waited until those seven days of impurity passed. And then on the eighth day, they would circumcise the child. The mother and the father would bring the child to a rabbi. They would bring the child to um, a Levite. And they would have a circumcision ceremony. Now, when we hear circumcision, we're like, oh, don't talk about that. I don't want to think about it. It's kind of like, a, Ugh. but for the people of Israel in ancient times, this was something that was celebrated. Like, this was a big deal. Circumcision was like a physical mark on the body of the male boys that said, we are the descendants of Abraham. We are God's people, his chosen people. We're the children of promise. Like, big deal. And the family would come, and you know how we do, like, dedication services, and we have, like, baby showers. It would be all that rolled into one. The family would all come, and everyone would be there, and the child would get circumcised, and they would throw a party, and those little triangular sandwiches would come out, and the jello mold, and they would just have like a potluck, and everyone would just be like, yes. That's what they did. They marked the physical body of the child to be like, this is a child, uh, children of Abraham, descendant of God's people. So you got the sign of God's covenant here on the body. So that's the first thing they did. You guys with me? Second thing that was specified in Leviticus 12 is this. They would offer sacrifice. And this would happen after 40 days if it was a male child and 80 days if it was a female. I don't know why. I looked it up. I'm like, does anybody know why? Nobody knows why. God specified after 40 days you would offer sacrifice if it was a male child, 80 days if it was a female. And so in this case, Mary and Joseph would have gone to the temple um, after uh, Jesus was 40 days old and offered two sacrifices. 
Now, Leviticus 12 specifies two things that were to be offered. First, a lamb as a burnt offering. And I grew up in church, and so the pastor would always be like, burnt offering, and they would make some joke about their wife's cooking. I'm not going to do that. They would offer a burnt offering. The first offering would get consumed completely before the Lord. The second offering, in this case, would be a turtle dove or a pigeon. And the turtle dove or the pigeon would be offered... Uh, for to cleanse the sin of the mother and father and child. It was like a wiping the slate clean. It was the end of the days of impurity for the woman who had given birth, and it was kind of the, the way to move forward. And so there was these two offerings. Now, interestingly, if you read Leviticus 12, I encourage you to do it, it specifies that if, if you were too poor to bring a lamb and a turtle dove, then you could bring two turtle doves and a partridge and a pear tree. That's... That's literally where that comes from. Two turtle doves was the offering for the poor people, which is exactly what Mary and Joseph gave. They didn't have a lot. And so they gave the two turtle doves um, in sacrifice for Jesus. What's interesting about this offering for sin is that it would remind the people of Israel, that they've given birth, you have this child, and you have to come to God and offer a sacrifice to cleanse you of your sin. It was a reminder to the people of Israel that they were sinners by nature that their sin kept them apart from God. They weren't allowed in the temple until the sacrifice was made and they could, they could move in uh, to worship God. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 51. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. So the day I was born, I was already a sinner. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Before I even grew in my mother, I was in sin. The, the idea is this. If your parents are sinners and they conceive you, and you're born in this world, you are a sinner by, like, by nature. It's exactly uh, the state you're born in. And that sin separates us from God, and the only way for us to get to God is to do what? To have a sacrifice, something uh, to mediate between us and God. So we see all of this happening in the days right after Christmas as Mary and Joseph come and present the child. There's circumcision, and then what happens next? An offering. And so they marked the arrival of Jesus into their life, into their home, with these two ceremonial acts. The first one is circumcision. The second is an offering, a sin offering. That's how they, that's how they marked the moment of Christ's arrival into their lives. You say, well, that's great, Pastor. What in the world does that have to do with us? I'm going to tell you. Because in the New Covenant, the New Testament teaches us this, that we, you and I, who follow Jesus, we mark the arrival of Jesus in our lives through Two associated, and you're going to see how these connect, baptism and communion. Baptism and communion are the two ceremonial acts that we do today that actually line up with these two things that Mary and Joseph did 2,000 years ago with Jesus after Christmas. Okay? Let me show you this. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul is going to tie together uh, some of the details for us. He says this. He's talking to the people who are following Jesus, the church. He says, in him... Also, you were circumcised. What is Paul talking about? He says, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So he's not talking about a surgery, something that happens to your body. He's talking about something that God does in the heart of each person. That God, by His Spirit, reaches into your heart and removes something of sin, changes something, performs surgery to your heart, which is so much better than surgery to your body. And he does this without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In the next passage, he's going to connect this with baptism. He says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So what he's saying is, he's like, 
God has done something in your heart. He has circumcised you. He's removed something that shouldn't have been there. And now through baptism is the outward sign of Christ's death and resurrection. You're connected. So in the ancient times, they used to mark the body of the males with this surgical act. And in the new covenant, God does something in the heart. And we make it public by going into the waters of baptism. And that represents us dying to ourselves, dying to our sin, buried with Christ, and raised to newness of life. It's an outward act. It's a celebration that says, I'm trusting in Christ. That's incredible. Paul says that's what the New Testament church does. That's how we mark our faith, not with a surgery to our body, but with the waters of baptism representing what God has done inside of our hearts. By the way, I know Andrew already mentioned this, but next Sunday we're going to see people, we're going to celebrate this, this act of faith as people go under the water and come out to represent what Christ has done in their heart. I'm so excited to see that. Um, so you'll want to be here next week or, or watch online uh, so you don't want to miss that. And, uh, and so circumcision has been replaced with baptism. You guys with me? What's the second thing? The sin offering, right? Remember how they brought all the sacrifices? That was necessary. It's required by law. Well, here's what the writer of Hebrews says about sacrifice. This is really cool. He says, Every priest stands daily at his service, speaking of the temple, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. We don't think about this a lot, but um, in the days of the temple, the priests would literally offer sacrifices all day long. Can you imagine hundreds of families traveling from all the surrounding villages and towns, coming to the temple, bringing animals, purchasing animals, bringing them to the priests, and they're just like a slaughterhouse. Drain the blood, splash it on the altar, open up the animal, do all the ritualistic washing, and burn stuff. And they, they had all the rituals to follow, and they would just literally all day long, animal after animal after animal after animal. And the writer of Hebrews says they did this every day, constantly, and he says, here's the kicker. Those sacrifices could never take away sins. So you're like, well, why were they killing all the animals in the first place? And he goes on to say in this chapter, he says, the reason why they were offering this, the animals and killing them was to remind them of their sins and that a sacrifice was required. So they were offering animals so they could remember their sin. That was the point. And he goes on to continue to say this, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, so the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is now the great sacrifice. So instead of lambs and turtle doves, Jesus offers himself. He's the sacrifice. A single sacrifice. And after he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, he finishes by saying this, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So the writer of Hebrews says they're offering animal thousands, tens of thousands of animals throughout history. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Didn't do anything. But Christ, once and for all, dies and is the ultimate sacrifice for each and every one of us. That's, that's incredible. And so, in the Old Testament, what did they do? They offered sacrifice for their sin. For us in the New Testament, believers, what do we do? We remember the Lord's Supper. And today, uh, we're going to actually participate in the Lord's Supper. If you have that cup, you can grab it. And we're going to walk through the Scriptures and just teach a little bit on it as we, as we partake of this together. Um, these, these are just emblems. I mean, this is cracker and this is juice. But what they represent is something eternal. And what they represent is something powerful. So, I mean, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't, you don't have to eat these. Just set them aside. I'm going to explain why this is so significant today. In, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes to the church 
specifically about this act of remembering Christ's body and blood, his death on the cross. And he writes these words to the Corinthian church, says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. So let's take the bread. Don't eat it just yet. Um, it's on the top of the little package, but we can just grab that for just a second. As I was studying the sacrificial system this week, I was, I was taken back by something that I want to share with you. He took the bread, and the next verse it says that when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this and remember to me. So he broke the bread and shared it with the disciples, and they're about to eat it. So he's like, this is my body, eat it. And they're like, okay. But what you have to understand is, um, when people brought these sacrifices to the Lord, so they brought their lamb, they brought an oxen, they brought for different, there were different sacrifices for different things. But when they brought it, all these animals were killed. And you probably think, well, that's, that's a lot of steak gone to waste. It's a lot of chops and ribs and like there's good meat there, right? This is a lot of money. And what you, what you may not know is that the priests and their families actually got to take a lot of that good meat home. So the animal was sacrificed, but the meat would feed the families of the priests. They would partake of the holy sacrifice, the priests and their families. Which I think is really interesting because Jesus says, this is my body, I'm the ultimate sacrifice, and it's broken, and I want you to partake of it. I want you to, I want you to consume the sacrifice that it might give you life. And you get this beautiful picture of Jesus inviting us as sons and daughters, as priests, holy unto God, to partake in the sacrifice that he made for us. And so he said, this is my body broken, please take and eat, and let's eat this together. And then in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. God had made a covenant with Abraham to have a specific people that would be his own. He made a covenant with Moses and gave the law. He made a covenant with David and instituted the temple worship. But Christ comes to institute an eternal covenant between us and him. And we drink and we take the cup of the covenant and we enter into it. So here's the thing. Before we take the cup, I want you to think of this. When the Jews brought their sacrifice to the temple and offered the animal, they were doing it to remind themselves of their sinfulness. We take these emblems and we remind ourselves that Jesus is our sacrifice and has removed our sin and made us right with God. It's a powerful emblem. So let's take this, the cup of the new covenant together. He goes on to say this, do this, what we're taking right now, the Lord's Supper, communion, to do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And he goes on to say, for as often as you do this, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I, I often encourage our church families and those of you listening to me today to share in communion in your homes. You can participate in this as a small group. You can do this with your children. You don't have to be a priest. You don't have to be ordained. You don't have to be a pastor. This communion is for all God's people. And so I want to encourage you to make this a regular part of your life. Of course, we're going to do it here at church. But I want to encourage you to do this often, to remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us, in us, and through us. And uh, so let's go back to our text in Luke 2. We've covered these two things. Now, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. Now you know what those things were. Circumcision and sacrifice. Both of these have their New Testament 
uh, counterpart that we've just talked about. It says they return to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. What happens next? They've received the Son of God into their home. Jesus has been born. They have this child. They go home. Joseph has a job. He was a, a carpenter, a builder. He was probably a stonemason, right? Because there's not a lot of wood in Israel, but that's another story. But he's got shelves and walls to build. So he's got contracts to fulfill like you guys do at your work. And so he goes back to work. Mary is probably going to be a domestic mother, right? She's got a child. She's got to cook and clean and do laundry by hand. You can be thankful you don't have to do that. She was probably caring for an elderly relative in their home. Like this would have been normal everyday life. And they begin to integrate back into their regular life with Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. How do we take our faith and what Christ has done and, and bring it into our lives? What does it look like to be a student with Christ? What does it look like to be a good employee with Christ? What does it look like to be a boss with Christ? A grandparent, a husband, a wife, a friend. What does it look like to, to do the things we used to do before we met Jesus, but to take Jesus with us back into those things? So we're going to dig into that in the next couple of weeks. And really kind of try to figure out how uh, we move forward. Like, what's next? And so they return to their ordinary life uh, with Jesus. I don't know if you can throw that up there for me. They marked the arrival of Jesus, then they returned, and they began to integrate back into their regular life with Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about. The last thing they did is found here. They created space for Jesus to grow. We're going to be talking about this in the coming weeks. How do we create an environment in our heart, in our homes, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our workplace? How do we create environments where Christ can grow? In First Peter, it says that we are to see Christ grow in us, that we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Did you know that you can begin a relationship with Jesus and then have it grow? I mean, this is true. I mean, I got married 22-something years ago, 22-plus, so however many days it's been. I thought I knew the woman I was marrying. She's an amazing woman. But in the last 22 years, I've learned so much more. And our relationship has grown deeper. And that's exactly what happens with our faith. We, we come to realize who Christ is, and we invite him into our heart, and we get baptized, and we take communion. That's not the end of the story. There's so much more. Paul said, I, I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's, just, there's more, there's more, there's more. So we want to figure out how to create an environment where we can learn more and have Christ grow in us. One of the ways we do that, there's lots of ways, but one of the ways is through reading the scripture and meditating on the scripture and, and hearing his word. And so I don't know how many of you got my, I sent an email out a few days ago, um, just reminding everyone, we have a 31 day challenge. And so starting in January, so yesterday, we're just inviting everyone in our church to be reading a chapter of Proverbs a day. So yesterday was chapter one, today's chapter two. If you want, uh, you can also join a private Facebook group that we have. Uh, there's a link on our Facebook page right now if you want to join. It's a private group, but once you're inside there, uh, each day when you read the text, you can just share something that's standing out to you, interact with other people in our church. It's just a little bit of community around the scriptures, and we just want to grow together. So just a, such a small thing. You don't even have to make a commitment for a whole year, but just inviting you to join in one chapter a day, interact uh, with others in our church. So. That's one of the things that, that we can do in the next few days. So, where do we go from here? What's next? Well, I wanted to start today just by talking about what it means after Christmas. We receive Christ into your life. What comes next? Well, 
Baptism is the first step. In the book of Acts, people believe they were baptized. They didn't even take a class. They believed and they're like, where's the water? And they just brought them to a river, a lake, a pool, and they dunked them. And that was the beginning of their journey. They marked the moment. And then they started to share in the Lord's Supper. They got into a community. They started to read the scriptures and pray. And they began to move forward. That's what we want to do. Uh, mark the moment and move forward from here. Next week, uh, I'm going to be talking about finding freedom. So many people invite Christ into their life. They have no clue what they've done. They have no clue the power that God has put in them by his Holy Spirit. They're still living in the past. They're still stuck in their old identity. And you can't move forward until you find freedom. So we're going to talk about that next week. And in the weeks ahead, uh, we're going to be looking at discovering your gift. Why the unique reason why God puts you on the earth? It's like, how are you supposed to make a difference if you don't know what it is that God has called you to do? So we're going to be talking about some of these things in the weeks ahead. Looking forward to it. You guys looking forward to it? All right. I love the energy. Uh, let me pray, and then Andrew's going to come up and, uh, and close us out. Father in heaven, thank you. This morning, as we consider what's next, I pray, uh, as Andrew said earlier, that, that we would love you more and love each other better. The Lord, in the, in the days ahead, we would come to know you in a more personal way. For some, Lord, maybe today's the day, first day they come to know you and trust in you. But for all of us, wherever we're at, Lord, we want to take steps in your direction. We want to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to grow in grace. We want to grow in your Spirit's leading. And so, Lord, I pray for every person listening to me today, everyone that's braved the elements to come out here this morning. God, would you speak to us and lead us in this upcoming year? Thank you for the opportunity that is before us. Thank you that you go with us. Thank you, most of all, that you live in us by faith. We trust you, we love you, and we thank you for what is ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, that wraps it up from us here at Pathway. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Be sure to keep up with us on all of our socials. Our website is pathwaylife.com. Our Instagram page is instagram.com forward slash pathwaylifechurch, facebook.com forward slash pathwaylife. And if you need prayer, please do not hesitate to ask and chime in at pathwaylife.com forward slash care. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.